Well, good morning. Um, just a <clears throat> reminder that we're we're on this uh, journey that's uh, looking at words, words of life, is the uh, the sermon series that we're in the midst of. Um, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, we're we're talking about. Um, Hebrew words, so Old Testament words, words that come from, uh, from the Old Testament that um, give us a window into God's unflinching um, commitment to life. Um, that, that, uh, that throughout Scripture, we, we have a God who remains creator, remains someone who has a vested interest in seeing creation be fully alive. Um, he is a uh, perpetuator and perpetrator of life. And so we've been looking at, uh, we've spent like eight or nine weeks looking at Old Testament words and um, Hebrew words. And today's the first day that we're going to start looking at some Greek uh, words. And that the Greek, Greek is the language of the New Testament. And so um, I thought that no better word to start with than agape which uh, many of you have probably heard of before. That's a, a Greek word for love. We're actually going to spend three weeks, I think, on agape. We're going to look at just one um, kind of perspective of agape today. Um, <clears throat> so I want to read this passage one more time for you, this passage out of Luke chapter 6, because I think it's so foreign to us uh, In the last 1,700 years, I cannot think of a single time in church history where the church has believed this passage. So that's why we're going to read it over and over and over again today. 1,700 years, we really don't believe this passage. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good, do good to those who hate you. That's not metaphorical. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those uh, who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend, lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and your, you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. So this is actually uh, the verb to love that Jesus uses here. It's, it's the, the word agapao. And uh, it just means to love, right? The problem um, with talking about love is that 
we all have a bazillion things that that means, right? What, what love means to you and what love means to me, there are all kinds of images that might come to mind. Um, we, we think about romantic love. We think about the way we love our family. We think about the way we love our children. We think about the way that we love our dog. We think about the way that we, we love spaghetti, right? We, we love can mean all kinds of different, sometimes ridiculous, sometimes extremely serious things. But as I mentioned in, in last week in Greek, there are at least four different terms that really mean love, and they each have a particular meaning. And the best place to look for what they mean is to consider what they mean in the context of the Bible, to let the Bible define the word. So when Jesus uses the word agapao, there's this context around how he uses it. And when Luke and Matthew and Mark and John use the word to describe Jesus, there's a context around that that helps us define the word and what the word means. And I think what you're going to find is that, especially in, the, what, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the Gospels, when you look at the word agapao, and when it's used, it means something rather specific. That for Jesus, this word agape, agapo, the, the verb, is a love that breaks barriers. It is not the normal love you have for family. In fact, Jesus actually explicitly says you're not allowed to love your family more than once. If anybody would like to come after me, they're going to have to hate their family. Hate mother, brother, sister, father. That's a big, long tangent that we won't go down. <laughs> but the, <clears throat> that's, so that's not what agapao is. It's not natural love. It's not the love you don't have to work for at all. But the divine gift of love for those whom you have no earthly reason to love. The divine gift of love for those whom you have no earthly reason to love. We've been uh, talking about life, right? That, the, that life is the, the point of this, this sermon series that we're, we're talking about life. And <clears throat> the way that the church defines love is crucial um, in terms of how life works. And whether or not people will be alive, quite frankly. The, uh, we can all envision that there's this like dark brick wall of sin as a barrier, right? That no, no matter, every Christian tradition that I can think of thinks of sin as, as a barrier of some kind. They all have, we all have different language and different vocabulary for how exactly we describe what it is, how it looks like, but always it's some kind of barrier between us and God, that there's some kind of separation. And the, the agape of Christ is designed to break that. Right? That it, it that as the nails pierce the hands of Christ, the love of God pierces our sin. Agapo is this idea that Jesus had no earthly reason to love us. And yet he died anyway. 
Paul in, cha- in Romans chapter 5 puts it like this. Um, you might die for a good person, but who, who among you would die for your enemy, for a bad person? And then he says uh, that Christ died for us while we were still enemies. So that on paper, there's just no reason to do it. The trick, the trick here is that all of us want that. All of us want that. None of us want to do it. Right. So that... Uh, you know, it says very explicitly in First John that we're supposed to love each other the way that Christ loved us. That's a really ridiculous thing to tell us to do. Are you, are you going to die for me? Not just die. Die violently. Scourged. Whipped. Beaten. Humiliated. Your blood sport at poured out on the ground so weak at the end that you can't carry your own cross. Would you do that for me? I'm sure you all would. <coughs> it's not. But so the, the author of, of 1 John tells us to do that for each other. But the crazy thing is that Jesus tells us to do it for our enemies. That this love must break barriers. And we have a whole lot of barriers in our world. Right? How, how, many, how many times do you think about... Um, sorry, my, I always forget that on my screen in my office, things look brighter than they look because our bulb is dying out there. So I'm sorry that it's not quite... That says politics for those of you who might not be able to see it. Uh, How often, how often do you, do you, are you surrounded by um, conservative people who are deeply and madly, self-givingly in love with liberals? How often are you around liberal people who are madly and deeply and selflessly, life-givingly in love with conservatives? But that's agape. This is why the church has absolutely no business doing exactly what the church does all the time and has been doing for 1,700 years. And that is that our national politics are more important than what Jesus tells us to do. For 1,700 years that's been true. Think, when you think about life, okay, think of how many Think of how many lives could have been preserved if the church had said with one voice that Native Americans deserve to be deeply and powerfully and self-givingly loved. Within a hundred years, more than a million Native Americans have been murdered of Columbus Landing. All of those people were people who professed to be Christians. All of those people. What if the church had stood up and said, we actually believe 
Luke chapter 6 and what Agapa O is for us. How many lives, how many Jewish lives could have been spared? Not just Jewish lives, but the lives of so many soldiers. If the church with one voice in Germany had stood up and said, we will not blame our social problems on the Jews. We will deeply and madly and self-givingly break the barrier between us and those people and love them. How many people? Because the church could have done it. Absolutely, 100%. The church could have prevented World War II. You see, Christians, individuals, have always, there have been many voices who've said, yes, we have to love these people. And you know what happens to those who stand up and say we have to love those people? Not good things. I don't mean to just lay a guilt trip on you, but this is the gospel for you. That the, the fate of life on this planet has for 1,700 years in large part depended on how the church it enacts its convictions about the gospel for the other. I mean, literally, literally life on this planet has depended upon how the church together thinks about the gospel and what it means for other people. I must love in the way that Christ first loved me. I must be merciful in the way that Christ was merciful to me. There are all kinds of then more personal, a more personal wall, right? One of the most difficult things on the planet to get over is when you're deeply you're betrayed by somebody. What would it look like for me to give my life, give my love to someone who has deeply cut me and wounded me and hurt me? Never ever forget that that's exactly what Jesus does. His best friends scatter, run away. According to Mark, they basically run away as fast as they could go. 14, chapter 14, verse 50, I think, says... And they all deserted him. Every one of them. Or, as many of you know, um, I just adore pointing this out, that in John chapter 13, okay, um, <clears throat> when Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he says, uh, well, that John writes that, and um, they've, you know, they've, they've reclined at the table and they're ready to eat, and he's, it says that Jesus got up, took off his outer clothing, and, and uh, you know, wrapped a towel around him, and now he, the time had come for him to, to uh, show them the fullest extent of his love for them, agape. Show them the fullest extent of his agape, and he bends down and he washes their feet. In the very next paragraph after that, that thing has happened, where Jesus has shown them the full extent of their love, the very next paragraph... Jesus says, the one with whom I put my hand in the cup will betray me. Do you know what that means? Who was there when he was washing the feet? 
Judas. That's agape. The church who would wash the feet of those we might actually be completely conscious that they're going to betray us in moments. Can you imagine a church like that? I'm not just talking about a congregation. I'm talking about the church functioning that way. spend a lot of time on this, but what I say I think is extremely important to me. You know, we're, just, we're just fracturing in our country right now over the issue of race. I mean, it, it just depresses me to see the way that the church responds. It just breaks my heart um, that we can't say that the gospel is good enough to be applied in these issues and with the people we disagree with. Because that's what it is. We just don't believe in the gospel for that. Sorry, that's probably too harsh. But in any regard, it's very, very saddening. Denominations is another thing that I've been thinking about. great barrier between the church that and frankly disables us disables us from, from, grab, from grabbing on to a deep and broad and, and wonderfully accurate understanding of agape we can't even we can't even take communion together how are we going to wash each other's feet we can't even take uh, can't even sing songs together without debating about which kind of songs they ought to be. How are we going to defend groups of people? How are we going to give our life away? Jesus, uh, I want to give you another example where Jesus calls somebody to, to agape, to this barrier-breaking agape. Because I, I want you to hear me say, I want you to hear me say this more than once, and that is that the kingdom of God, the, the, the mission of Jesus here on earth depends upon a church who's willing to break barriers, to love those who are on the other side of a barrier from them. It says, uh, this is from Mark chapter 10, as, as he was setting out on a journey, that's Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Just, Jesus just like, just take a compliment, man. <laughs> um. No one is good but God alone. Then he proceeds to answer the question. You know the commandments. Now, now listen very carefully. You know the commandments. Talk about the Ten Commandments, right? There aren't really any other. Anyway. <clears throat> you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. 
You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Okay, now, uh, <clears throat> Ten Commandments um, have four commandments that are about your relationship with God. Okay? Those commandments are you can't have any other God. You can't have any graven images, no holy images. You can't take the Lord's name in vain, and you have to observe the Sabbath day. Okay? Four things that are about our relationship with me and God, us and God. And then the other six are about our relationships with one another. Okay? And I want, to, I want you to hear what the other six are. Because Jesus actually lists six here. Okay? And do a little compare and contrast. Honor your father and mother. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. They don't match. So either Jesus knows how to see into people's hearts and can tell the future and can raise people from the dead, but he hasn't got the Ten Commandments memorized. Or perhaps there's something peculiar and intentional about the way he said the commandments. Okay, so the one that's not there is covet, right? Covet is a very simple kind of thing, right? Um, you've got something I wanted. That's not very complicated. It's very universal. Um, I deal with it every day between a one-year-old and a three-year-old. It's like part of human nature. Constantly, um, I feel like I'm beating my head against a brick wall most of the time trying to figure that out. But <clears throat> it's not in Jesus' list. Instead, Jesus has this other very particular word that's maybe, maybe we could argue is sort of related to coveting, but isn't coveting. His word is defraud. I, uh, I looked up a def definition. I never do this, but because I always think it's cheesy, but just this is the definition of defraud. Illegally obtaining money through deception. See, coveting, you're not obtaining anything. Coveting is something that happens in your heart, right? You may obtain it. You may not. You may legally obtain it for heaven's sakes. You might buy it. I don't know. It could be all sorts of things. It's like something going on in your heart. Defrauding is, I'm going to get rich by telling you a lie. I don't, know, I don't know if you remember, but this is about a rich guy. <clears throat> he continues, he said to them, to him, uh, teacher, I've kept all these since my youth. Yippee. Guess I'm in. <clears throat> Jesus looking at him, love, oh, <clears throat> Jesus looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go Sell what you own and give the money to the poor. You will have treasure in, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. My interpretation of this is this. Um, our, the way that you can, you can get rich in our world in lots and lots and lots of different ways. Okay, but the ancient world, most people didn't think you could get rich in lots and lots of different ways. 
It was a very broad agreement that most of the time you had to find a way to, uh, if you were going to move up from one place to another on the social scale, that you had to find a way to scrape and claw your way there. And, it all, and they just assumed that people would do that um, in seedy, illegal kinds of ways. There's just an enormous amount of evidence in that, in, in the historical record. Here's what I think Jesus, Jesus has used the word defraud because this guy has defrauded somebody. So he's got a barrier between him and a different particular kind of person, perhaps. Perhaps somebody who's poor. Jesus loves him and asks him, if you want to do this, you're going to have to love the very people that you can get rich off of. And by loving them, it's going to make you poor. That's agape. I'm going to ask you to love the very person you don't want to love. The very group of people for whom you have no earthly reason to love. So if you want to come into my kingdom, this is where I'm heading. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving. Some translations use the word sad, but I don't think that's quite strong enough for the word that's there. Grieving. For he had many possessions. I want to uh, give you an example of a guy who I think is the opposite of the rich run ruler. He doesn't go away grieving. He lives it. This is, a, this is one of my favorite stories in church history. I'm amazed. I think I've only told it twice in six years, so I'm entitled to it a third time. Um, <laughs> expect it again in a couple of years, probably. But um, this is just, this is so good. So in Europe, um, after, after, uh, after Martin Luther, okay, um, starts the Reformation in Europe, and we get Protestant churches splitting off from from Catholic church, churches, Europe will be constantly in war until after the French Revolution, which is in 18-something. I don't know. It's not my expertise. Uh, that's, so that's 300 years of constant war in Europe. And it, it's bloody. Horrifyingly bloody. In the middle of that, there's a particular kind of war that goes on um, that... Uh, Catholics and Protestants alike both don't like one group, and that group is called the Anabaptists. And the Anabaptists are just people who think that you should be old enough to agree to be baptized in order to be baptized. So don't baptize babies because they can't, they can't accept faith, right? You need to be old enough to be able to accept faith, and then you can be baptized. That's all these people believe. They have a whole lot in common with both Catholics and Protestants otherwise. But both, excuse me, both Catholics and Protestants both think that that is worthy of death because they, they, they read their, their convictions into Jesus, what Jesus says, right? If anybody leads a child astray, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and tossed into the sea. And they took that literally. So their favorite way of, of, of murdering Anabaptists was to tie a stone around their neck and throw them into ponds. 
Thousands of Anabaptists died in the years following the Reformation. And the most famous one is Dirk Willems, who was imprisoned for his faith and uh, starved, okay? And then somehow he escaped. He starved. So they, they were starving him. He was just petite and small by this point. He just lost an, an enormous amount of weight. And he escapes in the middle of the winter, and uh, he's running across, in his escape route, he runs across um, a very large pond, frozen, but lightly frozen. Lucky for him, he'd been starving for months. This is the only occasion on which being starved is lucky. So he's running across it, and he makes it to the other side, and a soldier, a Catholic soldier, behind him, runs across the ice as well and falls in. And Dirk is home free. The people for whom he has no earthly reason to love are losing. His victory has been granted to him. The soldier, as he's drowning, cries out for help. So Dirk runs back, pulls him up, starts a fire on the shore, gives him his jacket and dries him off and warms the man. And when the other soldiers finally arrive, they shackle him, and they take him back, and they burn him at the stake a month later. Because Agape took his life. Everything we know about Dirk Billings is that, um, that that was something that his heart burned to do. when the love of Christ and when the gospel really pierces us. I mean deeply. When we don't hide behind whatever barrier is our favorite. We don't hide behind our intelligence or hide behind statistics or hide behind our Facebook posts or hide behind whatever it is. We finally say to Jesus, here I am. And he takes, takes us. What happens to us? is not earthly at all. It's a divine gift implanted into us that grows and does remarkable things. It preserves life even at the cost of its own. I want to end because um, I, I think there are some... Uh, some good things happening out there where the parts of the church are, are trying to do this. And I think it's what we, I think, I think what I'm expressing to you is, is something that is deep inside the DNA of River Street, a desire to love those who are different than us. For whatever reason, and I don't even know, people who don't come here, that's what they think about us. It makes me really happy. They think that we're the place that loves those who don't get loved other places. And uh, that's pretty fantastic reputation. I'm not sure. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> you know, with all the, the, the disputes between the um, and protests and, and violence and, and everything, you know, just that I can read and hear, and, and I get to the point where I just want to shut the world out. Um, this summer, I, I saw something that just brought me to absolute destructive sobbing. 
in my office. And that was in, in Wichita, um, where uh, Black, the Black Lives Matter um, group there is, is led by um, uh, Church of God in Christ pastor. He's in that picture. And uh, instead of doing a, a protest, um, they, they had a big picnic. And they invited the, um, the Wichita Police Department to come. And they came. Thank God they weren't too busy defending theirs themselves on Facebook's news feed. And thank God that uh, the, the heart of this pastor is to, to uh, find a way to get love to break through a barrier. Thank goodness that agape is real in certain areas. I, uh, I ask you, I beg you, Jesus said this morning that you're not allowed to turn anybody away that begs, so I beg you, let the fullness of the gospel pierce your heart. Whoever it is, whether it's personal or political or big or broad or small and tiny, let the gospel be good enough for that. Let the Spirit of Christ ask you to love and say yes. Be a part of breaking the barriers that God so desperately wants to break. Let's pray. God, I, uh, I am so indebted to this kind of love. The way you've loved me um, so that I have a hope for eternity and then the ways in which your love has revolutionized who I am in this, in this world, I, I just give myself to you as pastor in front of these people, God. I ask you to, to make us a church where agape is, is lived on behalf of those we have no earthly reason to live it on behalf of. God, may what others say be true about us. May this be a place where those who find no love anywhere else can find it here. And God, I beg you for the church and the world today. God, make us hold on to this sentiment. Make us preservers of life for even those who somewhere inside of us we don't care about. Even if it brings us to ruin, may we trust that in our ruin you will be made glorified and alive and bright and wonderful. I thank you for the many Christians who have offered up their lives for the sake of living your commandments. May they inspire us. 
Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you don't treat us the way we treat others. Thank you for being a God of life. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our gospel, we pray. Amen.